ulterior. So this is always the um, the worst type of intro to do, and I've done it a couple times before, and I'm going to do it more times in the future because as much as we all like to use music as an escape from life, there are certain events in life that are inescapable, and this happens to be one of those. So, we in the public were not informed of this until Tuesday, June 27th, but on the morning of Monday, June 19th, Ryan Sue, who was the guitar player for Polaris, passed away. We don't know anything beyond that, and truthfully, we don't need to know. That's none of our business. The band and Ryan's family have shared with us what they needed to, and all that we can do now is just rally around the band, rally around the fans of Polaris who need that sort of comfort right now because this shit sucks. And, you know, I and so many others could talk for fucking days and days about the abilities of Ryan. And I remember seeing his covers on YouTube initially, and that spans back to like 2010 2011 somewhere around there the dude was like 12 or 13 and he was fucking shredding on that shit man ryan had a gift and he chose to share that gift with us and i feel insanely privileged and honored to have been able to listen to his gift time and time again i briefly mentioned this when talking about uh inhumane which was the recent polaris album or polaris single off of the album fatalism coming out september 1st i believe it is um they had a song a couple actually did I go into these into this detail? This whole thing is off the fucking rails now, guys. It, it's totally not scripted, not prepared. I'm just speaking from the heart right now. Um I was gonna save this for the review of Fatalism, but I just want to go ahead and say it now. A couple years ago on the album The Death of Me from 2020, Polaris had a song called Above My Head. And there was a time in the months following that album's release where a certain thing happened to me and it was incredibly traumatic and it still is to this day and the song above my head helped keep me afloat and if you can pick up what i'm putting down um you understand the severity of what it is i'm trying to say without explicitly saying it for trigger reasons I don't know what happens to me in that span of time without above my head and it, it it genuinely is fucking with me to know that somebody who had a hand in saving me is gone and Polaris God, I fucking hope they're okay man this shit sucks. I've said that already, but it's the only sentiment I can really say now in regard to this. I hope everybody who is affected by this can manage and can be okay and can live fulfilling lives for Ryan because that's what he would have wanted for the community and the scene and for anybody who is grieving his passing right now. All of my best wishes in the world to Polaris and Ryan's friends and family, fans, everybody, because we could all really, 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 really use 
that sentiment right now. And as an additional way to use this episode as a tribute for Ryan, uh, the intro and outro song today will be from Polaris. I just mentioned above my head, that will serve as the outro, because I, I think the outro to that song is just fucking beautiful. And then for the intro, I'm going to include uh, the riff that he does on The Remedy. And I think that riff is one of the greatest and most iconic of the last couple of years. I'm not just saying that because of recent events. That riff is fucking sensational, guys. But yeah, that's what's happening, and, um, show must go on, or whatever the fuck it is they say. Uh, so, this episode, we got brand new singles by the likes of The Word Alive, Holding Absence, Texas in July, and a few others I want to get through, and then brand new records by Trophy Eyes, This Wildlife, Vexed, Mental Cruelty, Harm, Dispositions, and Honey Revenge. Thank you so much, thank you for tapping in, and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. There's not really much else that I want to add on for an intro, you know, given what the subject matter was just now. So I will go ahead and just get into the music now because there's actually quite a lot to get through, maybe the most out of a given week so far. And I'm starting off with the brand new single by The Word Alive. It is called Slow Burn. Alongside this single came the announcement of the Water Live's brand new album. It is called Hard Reset. It is releasing August 25th. And just looking at the track listing, the Water Live really did assemble the scene Avengers for this outing because there are features on here from Bad Omens, Loveless, Escape the Fate, Normandy, and From First to Last. This is one of the greatest ensemble of talents I've ever seen on an album. And then mix in how fluid I believe the Water Life sounds right now. Like, I was already really high on the prior single, New Reality. Slow Burn might be better, in my opinion. I really enjoy the emotion within the song. I think the Water Live have mastered the clean, alternative rock-sounding chorus in a way that doesn't make it feel generic or cliche. Like, there is so much packed into this chorus. It is catchy as fuck. I think Telly Smith has really come into his own by this point as a top-tier vocalist in the scene. The moments in the song where you can hear an acoustic guitar in the background really adds a layer of emotion to what is already a pretty heavy song in that regard. And I feel like I should say this now. Like, I have never really really been down on the word alive even on something like violent noise where it felt like most people that i interacted with weren't really in alignment with that album's direction i still enjoyed it i still found a lot of songs on there that i was able to grasp onto and the same thing with monomania and when it comes to everything so far for hard reset to me this might be the word alive operating at the highest level they ever have and I genuinely cannot wait for the rest of this album. And again, not just because of the features, but also because of how good I believe The Word Alive are right now. Let's talk about Holding Absence and their new single, Honeymoon. Honeymoon. 
There are certain phrases that I believe I reiterate every time I mention holding absence. Some of them being beauty and sorrow and emotion. And it's not because I run out of things to say about holding absence, but because those truly are the feelings that they evoke every single time they get on a track. And whether it's False Dawn or Crooked Melody or Now with Honeymoon, I always have my heartstrings tugged at in the most grandiose manner possible every time I hear Holding Absence. I think there is a slower sense to this song's pacing. It reminds me of Soft Cult in a lot of ways, and I say that as a compliment because I think Soft Cult also have that intangible element of being able to move a listener such as myself with these slow songs that are rooted in so much benevolence. And even with the song being slower than its contemporaries in False Dawn and A Crooked Melody, the chorus is just as infectious. Like, I could not get the shit out of my head no matter what I tried to do. And in true Holding Absence fashion, every single word spoken by Lucas is cutting. Like, maybe I said this about Sleep Token when reviewing Take Me Back to Eden. I'm not really sure about that recollection. But I'm going to instead apply to Holding Absence. I don't know if there is another band out there with the ability to make me feel like crying and singing along as effectively as Holding Absence. In my opinion, they are 3 for 3 right now on singles for The Noble Art of Self-Destruction releasing August 25th, the same day as Word Alive, actually. Holy shit. But yeah, they've not missed, and given the track record of this band, dating back to self-titled and then into the greatest mistake of my life, there is no reason for me to believe that the noble art of self-destruction will not be one of the most impactful, moving, and heart-wrenching listens of the year. Texas in July, back. Motherfucking Texas in July, yeah. The single is called False Divinity. I understand that a potential majority of listeners may not have been around the scene back when Texas in July was a band on the tips of everybody's tongue. But as somebody who was, I can say that Texas in July was to a lot of us back then what bands like Fit for a King or Invent Anime or Currents are to you guys right now. Like just off of their debut EP, they were getting tours with like August Burns Red and The Devil Wears Prada and look at where those bands are now. That is the reverence in which a lot of us held Texas in July. And if you're new to the band and you go into the single, there will be a sense of familiarity because JT is on vocals. JT from Arrow, one of, in my opinion, the best screamers out there right now. And he is able to add a narration to False Divinity that I think puts it in alignment with some of my favorite Texas in July songs from back then. And to me, this song manages to feel like a throwback to a pastime of metalcore while still pushing everything forward and being a more than capable contemporary song in the genre that I think a lot of bands will turn to and think, man, that's how this shit is done. 
None of the members lost a beat. Everything about Texas in July as of today stands for what I believe they stood for back then. And I'm just thrilled to have been able to get a new song by them. Thrilled to have been able to have the chance to tell you guys about them. And whatever comes in the future from Texas in July, I will be there no matter what. Safe Face have a new single featuring Jiraiya. It is a lesson in dramatics. So I believe 2021 would have been the last time that I mentioned both of these artists. Uh, that year, Safe Face had the album Another Kill for the Highlight Reel, and Jiraiya had the EP A Beginner's Guide to Faking Your Death. Those two records really did stand out to me, and for different reasons. I believe Safe Face that year displayed My Chemical Romance and The Used Warship just about as well as I've ever seen any band do so. And then Jiraiya had one of the most unique sounding EPs I've probably heard in the entirety of my life with A Beginner's Guide to Faking Your Death. So bringing these two together for a lesson in dramatics, I can't express just the great extent to which I believe this concept works. And maybe it works because both of these acts really dive into theatrical elements for their respective sounds and the unison of those elements really makes a lesson in dramatics something memorable for myself and something special and something that I'm able to latch onto and be like, I don't hear anything else in the scene right now that sounds like this. And even if I did, it wouldn't be done to the extent that Safe Face and Jiraiya managed to. I talked about Imminence last week and I have to talk about them again now because they went ahead and put out another brand new single, Desolation. It was only a week ago that I talked about Come Hell or High Water by Eminence, and something that I remember saying about that track was that it sounded a little bit scaled back in terms of the pacing from what I normally expect out of Eminence, and it wasn't to the detriment of the song, I still thought that it was an amazing song. Desolation, it takes a bit of a familiar approach to the style of Eminence, so what I mean by that is this song is very much so right there alongside what you would hear off of Heaven in Hiding or Turn the Line On, and that makes Desolation this very well-composed and well-presentable song by Eminence. Like, if you show somebody this song, Desolation, as their first Eminence track, they immediately get a great scope of what this band is about and what this band is about is producing some of the absolute finest metalcore out there right now and then mix in all of the orchestra elements that the band is um you know known for and you get another song that really speaks to the reverence that i believe the name imminent should be spoken with right now the final single for the week that i'll go into detail on is the plug by varsity In my opinion, if you are not tapped into Varsity, then you are allowing yourself to miss out on a band that is 
navigating R&B driven scene music just about as well as any other band has ever been able to. And I think the plug is a great display of all that because with this song, you get those very relaxed and laid back verses where Joey Varela really lets his voice soar and he allows himself to kind of show off what he's good at and what makes him, in my opinion at least, one of these standout vocalists in all of C music right now. And then you go into a chorus that is just as explosive and catchy and, and infectious as anything else that Varsity have ever been able to do. It is a fucking ripper of a song. I got to hear it live over the weekend because I got to see Varsity with Outline and Color, Nerve, and Secrets. Just for myself, Varsity were the standout band of that show. They're the act I was most excited to see, and they did not disappoint at all. Amazing band, amazing musicianship. Everything about Varsity just speaks to what I love about C music, and the plug is a perfect fit for all that. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Calamity by Anne is Okay. Gone So Gone by Bearings. Prismatic Tomb by Crown Magnetar. Denial by Crystal Lake, Rebirth by Crystal Lake, Paper Crown by Dark Divine featuring Brian Kuznets from Flame on, Fame on Fire. I said Flame on Fire. Uh, Swine by Demi Lovato, Every Time We Touch Techno Version by Electric Callboy, Do It Like by Our House, Escapist by Jamie's Elsewhere, Life I'm Living In by Just Friends, Agony by Keepsake, Anthem by Koyo, Benadryl Subreddit by Ellis Dunes, Kill a Year by Lockett, I Hope I'm Not Sick by Loveless, Lie by Nessa Barrett, Lost and Bleeding by Nick Nocturnal featuring Blind Channel, that was a card that just passed by, Cut Me Open by A Virtue, The Luck You Had by Parish, 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 uh, Bad Habit which is a Steve Lacey cover by Patient 67 featuring Joey Vadella from Varsity, Evergreen by Paris, Atomic Bomb by Scarlord, Milady by Signs of the Swarm, Secondhand by Starletta, and Shock Tactics, A Thousand V by To The Grave. Two singles got a 3 out of 5, uh, Numb and Ache by Coma Waves, and What's Going On by Lonely Avenue. Just nothing super impressive, nothing that really took me aback. Like, I, I thought they were just like, you know, okay, I guess. And then uh, Never Getting Better by Blind Equation got a 2 out of 5. Brother, I enjoy experimentation. I love shitty, weird noises. But this is done in a way that is like kind of off-putting to me, and it's really hard to describe, but I just couldn't get behind it. It, it wasn't appealing to me whatsoever. So those were all the singles, and that's going to bring me to the records, and there were seven for the week, so I will try to do this as quickly and effectively and efficiently as I possibly can. So the first one up is the highly anticipated debut album by Honey Revenge. It is called Retrovision. So if it's felt like Honey Revenge maybe came out of nowhere, that's because they, at least in my eyes, kind of did. I, I, it was a super quick turnaround from me first hearing about this band and listening to them to seeing so many people within the scene talking about how Honey Revenge had that breakout potential. And I could definitely hear it on earlier singles like Miss Me and Distracted, but it really like once the cycle for Retrovision really got into full gear per se, that's when it felt like everything that I had 
seen and heard about from those who were championing Honey Revenge, that's when it clicked. Like, specifically on the single Airhead. I remember hearing that and just thinking, like, fuck, they have it down. I don't know how they have it down this quickly, but they got it. Like, that ability to take pop rock and just add so much life and flavor to a genre that can sometimes feel lifeless in that regard, they mastered it. Like, Airhead and then even the rest of the album altogether has no fucking business being as catchy and head-nodding as it really is. And all that does lend itself to what I believe makes Airhead one of the best opening songs on any record so far this year. And from there, the album goes into the second song, Seeing Negative Disappointment. I don't believe I can emphasize just properly enough to you guys what this song has meant to me the last week and the level to which I have just found myself being so fucking infatuated with everything going on here with seeing negative. Like, just from the intro, I am given this sense that Honey Revenge found the most immaculate way to take something like pop rock and the quote-unquote cliches that come with that genre and blend them into pure emotion, and that is what you get with seeing negative. It manages to somehow be uplifting while being very raw and honest with its lyricism. And I think in particular, it is the second chorus and the expansion on it that really allowed seeing negative disappointment to propel itself into the stratosphere and become my favorite song on the record and at large, one of my favorite songs all year so far. What I just said about managing to mix pop rock cliches with emotion, I think you can apply that notion to every track here, not just seeing a negative, but all the way down to like habitual, for example. That song has such a, for lack of a better way of really phrasing it, like a straightforward radio pop sound, and it doesn't try to hide that. It doesn't mask any bit of that, but it's also just very upfront with what it's trying to get across to you lyrically. Got caught up being caught up from baggage back in the day. I've got bad luck because my attitude sucks and I'm stuck in my old ways. Honey Revenge, sometimes on this record, actually not even sometimes, all the time on this record, Honey Revenge comes across as being too good. And what I mean by saying too good is that this is still a relatively new band. Like, it, it should not have happened this quickly for them. Not just the success, but also the prowess that they're showing on here. Like, this is an album that I would have expected out of a veteran band, not a band on their debut outing. Murphy's Law is another great song that I really want to shout out, and kind of in the same breath as seeing Negative Disappointment, I think Murphy's Law is able to take the best elements of Honey Revenge, that being catchiness, infectiousness, and just pure fucking emotion, and display it in a way that makes them believable. Like, I don't hear anything on Murphy's Law or the album Retrovision altogether and believe that Honey Revenge is putting on an act or they're phoning it in or any of this is like inauthentic in any way. This is goddamn Honey Revenge. This is one of the best rising bands in the scene and it's tracks like Murphy's Law that do exemplify all that. And I truly believe that no matter how many times you have heard something within these boundaries, like whether it's a pop punk band trying out something more pop oriented or, you know, just pop rock trying to be a little bit more aggressive in its nature, Honey Revenge might 
fucking clear all of that. And I know I've kind of reiterated this point over and over again so far in the review, but it really does ring true to me. This album should not be this good. Honey Revenge should not be this fucking elite this early into their tenure. Like, if there were missteps on this album, it would have been forgivable, per se, because, again, this is a new band, and they kind of would have that crutch to lean on if needed. But it's not needed at all. Honey Revenge showed the fuck up on Retrovision, and if you were looking for something in... Actually, you know what? Fuck that. I was gonna say, if you're looking for something in the realm of, like, pop rock and pop punk then listen to this album, even if that's not your forte, even if this isn't something that you normally fuck with, go check out Retrovision because Honey Revenge fucking did that. Brand new Trophy Eyes album, Suicide and Sunshine. So while I do have backgrounds on most of the like longer tenured bands in the scene, not all of them I have a strong attachment to. And that's just me being really transparent with you guys in saying that Trophy Eyes does not mean as much to me as I know it means to a lot of you guys. And that's not due to a lack of talent in any way. Trophy Eyes is an incredible band and I do acknowledge that. But they've never really had a record or a song that stuck with me the way that I know this shit hasn't been able to stick with you guys before. And I don't really know why that is. Maybe it's just, you know, in certain cases, other bands being, uh, like, primarily in my rotation at the time. Um, you know, kind of just to give an example, or maybe an example. Figure 8 came out back in January 2020, and that was at the same time as like fucking uh, Everything is Ordinary by Boston Manor. Um, what was what was the Amity Affliction song from that time? Soak Me in Bleach. Um, shout out SOTS Discord. The Rock meme. You, got, you guys completely fucking killed that within seconds, but whatever. Um, underneath by Code Orange. Like there was so much happening at that time that figure eight didn't really have the space to like ease its way per se into what I was obsessed with. And that's kind of been what's gone on in the past with other trophy eyes material again, while acknowledging how good the band really is. And the twisted irony of me talking about suicide and sunshine right now is that the same thing kind of happened again, and it's because of how much I enjoyed Retrovision and then how much I enjoyed the record that I'm going to be talking about at the end of this episode. Suicide and Sunshine, it's a great album. Let me say that now. I think this album, if you're into Trophy Eyes and you've been patiently waiting for this record, you were more than satisfied. I don't see any way that that would not have been the case. I think everything that has been able to make Trophy Eyes the emo juggernauts that they are is more than present here, such as on the intro song Sydney, and just how fucking real and gripping and emotional it gets with the screams, and then just how that is the like centerpiece of the whole song, and the way that it leads into life in slow motion. It's one of the most effective 
like intro and opener combinations I've heard on an album this year. And I think when listening back to songs like uh, People Like You or My Inheritance, the thing that's like standing out to me is the room that this album still has in terms of being able to grow on me. And again, I already do like the album. I acknowledge that it's great in terms of being like super relevant to me and super important. The room is definitely still there for this album. Like I'd be a fucking fool to not think so because of what a song like what hurts the most was able to do for me hearing it as part of the album. What hurts the most was a single back in April and at that time, I definitely did not give it enough attention or love or adoration. And now I'm here fucking beating myself up over that because what hurts the most is one of the coolest things that any band has been able to put out this year. I really enjoy the pacing of the song, how it's kind of like an indie rock song mixed with these alternative elements, and it makes for something that is, you know, a bit downbeat in nature while still being immensely catchy. And I think What Hurts the Most might be my favorite Trophy Eyes song in general, not just on this record, but the totality of the band's library. I will say one thing that might be a little bit antithetical to the appreciation that I've tried to show so far for the album, and that is on the song Runaway Come Home. I think it's a good song, nothing really bad to say about it, but I think its placement in between Blue-Eyed Boy and then the combination of Burden and Sean, it does kind of disrupt the flow, or at least what I was enjoying with the flow at that point in the album. Good song still, but the placement of it kind of made me check out of it just ever so slightly. And since I did just mention Sean right now, I want to add that Sean is one of the most shocking and grotesque songs this year. And I say that with so much respect and reverence for what Sean stands for. We hit every red light on the way to those you left behind. Something just don't sit right with suicide and sunshine. Top 40 on the radio, mind racing but we move so slow, familiar smell of dead friend. And that's just the intro line. The song does not let up in its pure, relentless, and raw emotion. And how slow the instrumentation is, it really does allow the lyrics to be the focal point and the selling point of Sean, and I think that made it one of my favorite songs on the album. Again, very hard to get through in a way, but so rewarding to listen to. As anybody would have expected, there is no shortage of emotion in Suicide and Sunshine. I think this is one of those records where you're not going to be able to forget where you were when you heard it, and, you know, that might be a good or a bad thing for some people, uh... For myself, it's nothing but a very high-standing compliment towards Trophy Eyes. And like I said earlier, I don't know if my story with this album is finished yet, because I believe there is still room for Suicide and Sunshine to leave a bigger impression on me than it already has. Let's now look at the brand new This Wildlife album called Never Fade. Up and down would be maybe a dramatic way to get across my connection to this wildlife in their tenure, 
but it's the one that I'm going to use because I've definitely been super fucking high on this band before, and then there's also been times where I maybe didn't really, really care too much about what they were doing, and it fluctuates for sure. Like, I think there might be a misconception that this wildlife has always been an acoustic act, and that isn't true because they had an EP back in 2011, and this is relevant to what I'm saying about up and down relationship, an EP back in 2011 called Pop Shove It, which is just straightforward pop punk music, and I really, really like it. There's a song on there called So Much Potential where I had such a deep connection to that song that there was a short story that I wrote about nine years ago with the intention of turning it into a full-length book one day. Maybe it still happens, maybe it doesn't, I don't know, we'll see. And there were a couple of songs that I used as like reference points for what I wanted the story to embody. And so much potential was one of them. I fucking love that song with all my heart. And that attachment and adoration, it did translate somewhat into this wildlife's acoustic material, um, like on Clouded back in 2014. So many songs on there that I can just close my eyes and genuinely visualize where I was when I first heard them and how they made me feel. Like Concrete, Looking Back, The Sleepwalking Cover, um, Roots and Branches. Like At a time where I was so down about life, this wildlife was kind of there for me. And that's pretty cliche to say, I understand that. But the power that some of those songs had on me is completely fucking immeasurable. They had a 2016 album called Low Tides, and truthfully, there wasn't really a ton on there that I was able to form that kind of a connection with. And I think with a band like This Wildlife and the acoustic approach that their songs take, that level of connection is really vital for me to be able to kind of distinguish what is happening in one song from another, if that makes any sense. And then with 2018's Petaluma, there's the song Westside. Westside is one of the best songs I believe any band has ever written in the last decade. Similarly to what I said earlier about uh, Roots and Branches or Concrete when it came to the clouded material, Westside was a song that over the years kind of had its meaning be shaped and molded by whatever was happening in my personal life, um, like about three years ago during the start of the pandemic. Some stuff was going on, and Westside was able to just really, really ease my brain in moments where I needed some shot of serotonin like that. And that's another reason why this wildlife will always be an important band to me, no matter you know, what kind of down points or lows I do experience with this band. And then 2021's Ever Blossom, it does kind of fall into the same echelon as Low Tide in the fact that there really wasn't much there that I was able to attach myself to. And I will say that right now when it comes to Never Fade, having been able to spend about a week with it now, I don't know which direction this album is going to swing into. And a part of that comes from Ironically, what I believe is the strength of the album, and that is the insane lineup of guest features here. And the reason why that might be a detriment in some ways in terms of my viewpoint of the album is that I didn't look at this track listing and think like, oh fuck, new this wildlife, I'm so excited. It was like, holy shit, look at these feature spots. 
that kind of takes some of the spotlight away from this wildlife. And again, I don't know if that's really a good or a bad thing, even if all of these songs sound great. And like I did notice in at least my first listen through the album, I was more so waiting to hear when these guests came in. So like in No More Waiting, the opener, just wanting to hear what Brian from I Prevail sounded like on it. And just like, you know, Proximity featuring Roy Rodriguez from Dayseeker. Um, How'd You Forget Us featuring Joshua Roberts from Magnolia Park. Like I was very attentive to the guest spots that in some moments, at least on the first listen through, it took away from what this wildlife were actually doing. It wasn't until the second time listening to Never Fade that I felt I was able to really uh, appreciate what this wildlife managed to do. And they do sound very crisp on this album. I will say that. Like I mentioned Proximity right now. I think that song is fucking beautiful. And it's the like true, genuine, emotional nature of this wildlife put on display about as well as it ever has been able to. And that is a notion that I can extend to so many other songs on this album, like Knife Fight and uh, Fall Out of Love Again. I will say that one of the lower points on the album, and not really even a low point in general, but just in terms of how I was able to attach myself to some of these tracks here, um, I Miss You, which is a Blink-182 cover. It features Oliver from Broadside. It sounds fine. Like, there's nothing really wrong with the song, surface level, or even deeper into that. But, um, another SOTS shout out, uh, a cover on a fucking studio album. That was kind of a strange choice to me, especially when there's only eight songs on this album. Like I really could have done with another original track by this wildlife and not using one of very limited spaces on a blink cover. And I know it might sound like I'm being harsh towards the album. I do enjoy it. I really, really do. It's just when I look deeper into what certain releases prior from this wildlife managed to do for me i don't know if never fade is going to have that effect on me at least in this present time maybe it does later on maybe it doesn't i don't know but i have to base this review off of what i feel right now and i will also add that if you are just getting into this wildlife i would recommend clouded and petaluma before i recommend never fade but this is still a good album i think the features here do the job that they're meant to do and if you are just generally into anything by this wildlife you're gonna fuck with this mental cruelty dropped their new album zoilich Just to get straight to the point when it comes to the main discussion that can be had off of Zoe Leach, did Mental Cruelty rip off Lorna Shore? No, I don't really think so. Um, because when I look back on what Mental Cruelty was doing beforehand, before the vocalist switch back at the start of this year, the elements that make up this kind of symphonic blackened deathcore sound they were already there do i think lorna shore may have influenced metal cruelty to make those uh stylistic elements more prominent on zoe leech sure maybe 
but I can't listen to Zoe Leach and believe that Mental Cruelty just listened to And I Return to Nothingness and Pain Remains and just be like, yeah, that, let's do that. Now, of course, there are still similarities between Mental Cruelty and Lorna Shore, and I believe what is happening on Zoe Leach will be very accessible to anybody who is like deep into the current incarnation of Lorna Shore. And I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. Because Mental Cruelty still put out something that I believe is of a very high standard in current deathcore music. Like when I reviewed Symphony of a Dying Star a couple months ago, I was very high on the track back then, and I really still am now hearing it as part of the full package that is Way Leaked. I believe that song kind of takes what makes Mental Cruelty who they are on this album and really lets everything flourish, like really just gives them this voice and an identity that, again, I don't want to say is just a straight knockoff of Lorna Shore because I don't believe that's the case. Do I hear Lorna Shore? Yes. Do I think that is the entire identity to this album? No. Zoe Leach can still stand on its own, and the quality of Symphony of a Dying Star is what initially made me believe that was going to be the case. I think the intro song, Midwinter, it does an outstanding job at kind of acting as like this epic movie score in a way and it manages to set the stage for all of Zoe Leach without even really sounding like what the rest of the album does if that makes any sense. The song that bleeds into is Obsessis a Demonio, I hope I'm saying that correctly, and I think that track really does let you as a listener feel and hear everything that mental cruelty has to offer you because this song is just fucking brutal and it's heavy and then there are still moments where it can kind of slow itself down while still being brutal in every aspect of the band's uh, character and the breakdowns are fucking insane the section later on with singing that kind of gives a sense of like avant-garde or power metal it's an amazing song that really does paint the images away leech perfectly in my opinion and I really do believe that every song here is good, and I did manage to find thorough enjoyment in all of it, but I will say that maybe by the point of Nordless, which is the fifth track here, I was kind of wondering, to myself at least, if I had already heard everything Mental Cruelty really had to show in terms of uniqueness, and I do think that ended up being the case, and that didn't really take away from how much I enjoyed Mortal Shells or The Arrogance of Agony, it's just, I was kind of thinking like, man, one or two more like unexpected tricks would have really done wonders for the back half of the album. I do believe that I was still able to get very enjoyable deathcore out of the back half, but I didn't get anything that made it unique, if that makes any sense. And that's not really a complaint just unique to... Uh, mental cruelty. I said something similar about Pain Remains and how I thought at some point before you got into the three-part closer, Lorna Shore kind of maybe showed their entire hand. And I think that's kind of an issue I have right now with this particular style of symphonic blackened deathcore as opposed to, you know, making a slander campaign against the back half of Zoe Leach. So to me, the replayability of the album is where I think Zoe Leach is kind of suffering right now. But just from that initial listen, I was able to at least be captivated by just about every element of Zoe Leach and the overall identity of mental cruelty in its grand scope. Will I be returning to this album? I'll be returning to bits of it, sure, I do believe that. 
Like I mentioned about Symphony of a Dying Star, I still really do enjoy that song. I think Obsessis A Demonio is another great showcase for the genre altogether, not just Metal Cruelty. And those are the parts of the record that really do stand out to me right now. And again, some of what I was able to hear on this album, it doesn't stand out. It's just very good at what it does. And in some regards, that's fine. That's enough. But in a week where I was able to get uh, Retrovision by Honey Revenge and then the album that I'm going to be talking about at the end of the episode, I think I needed just a little bit more to really place Mental Cruelty at the top of the genre over Alorna Shore, for example. But as it stands right now, I will say that Zoe Leach is still a good album. And like I said at the top of the review, I don't see this as a Lorna Shore knockoff. Just a few more records left. Here is Negative Energy by Vex. This is actually the second record that I'm ever reviewing from Vex. The first one was Culling Culture back in May of 2021. And at the time, I was still reviewing everything on episodes. Like, not just breaking down, like, certain singles, but going through every single fucking thing. So, that album, I, I kind of look back on that specific time as, like, not really good for me or good for my mental health or sanity, whatever. And... Calling Culture was an album where it was kind of just like one ear out the other, if I'm being truthful, but there was one song on there. It's called Epiphany, and it was the standout of that album. So far to me, the standout of the band's act altogether, and it was a song that easily could have been top 100 that year. Listening back to it recently, I'm not really sure what prevented me from really giving it that level of praise. An element of Vex that I believe carried over from Calling Culture into Negative Energy is the power within Megan's voice and just how well she can get everything within the character of the band across from both the perspectives of screaming and singing. She is genuinely one of the most talented vocalists in the scene right now and I don't know how many people are overlooking her because they might not know about Vexed. As far as the album goes, I believe PTSD is one of those intro tracks that really does have this ominous feeling to it. And it's an ominous feeling that maybe isn't necessarily mirrored in every track on Negative Energy, but just the idea that this band would be going into a bit of a darker direction in comparison to Culling Culture. I think PTSD did a great job at really uh, establishing that. And then when you get into Anti-Fetish and the just bounce that is in that song, the catchiness within the instrumentation while everything around it is still relentlessly heavy, it's this wonderful and effective combination that I believe allowed Anti-Fetish to start negative energy off on the right foot. I think one of my favorite songs coming out of the album ended up being Lay Down Your Flowers, which features Loki from Alpha Wolf. And just having that duo of Loki and Megan help this track flow really perfectly, that kind of made it to where I looked at Vex in a similar light to Alpha Wolf and then even other, you know, new metalcore bands around them not new as in like a like a state of being new but new as in new metal you know what i mean 
something that I will say about negative energy is that the second time listening to it, I think maybe there are some differences between later tracks that made the aforementioned second listen not as eventful to me as the first. And what I mean by that is there are songs that really do allow Megan to have more of a floor to herself for clean singing, such as on uh, Chama Euphoria and It's Not the End. It's Not the End, like, that song fucking has these sections where everything becomes really quiet and Megan just lets the angelic nature of her voice carry the track and it's fucking immaculate guys trauma euphoria some of the biggest moments on the album come from there and how the chorus with megan's singing is able to elevate it and it made it to where i ended up enjoying those songs significantly more than tracks that didn't really have that element like there's no place like home and extremist per se or even the closing track nepotism that second listen through made it to where I just wanted to hear more out of Megan within the confines of Trauma Euphoria or It's Not The End and not so much what I just mentioned about the other tracks. They're still great, but I think coming out of negative energy more so than Colin Kocher, I have a, a sense of what it is that I enjoy more from Megan in terms of the variety that she offers in Vexed. And it was nurtured with some tracks here, but just not all of them. But the songs that I'm kind of uh, you know, not super high on, they're still great. They still have those uh, amazing intangible elements of Vex, just not to the extent as some of the other songs. But I do really want to hammer in a point that I've tried to make so far. Vex can really elevate themselves in the future, and they have a real shot at someday being one of those top-tier bands in new metalcore. Do I think it's going to happen off of negative energy? No. And I wouldn't have even said it would be happening off of Colin Culture, but I think the formula and the recipe is there for them to chase greatness and be able to achieve it someday. I, I really do hear that potential coming out of negative energy. Dispositions release a brand new EP, South of Saints. This is a rather short EP. It's only four tracks, but Dispositions is a Texas act, so I do gotta show some love in that regard. And then, you know, not just love because they're from my home state and representing us, but also this EP genuinely is really, really fucking solid all the way around. The single Death Rattle was my first time hearing this band, and I think the element of Death Rattle that really stood out to me was the absolute fucking frenzy that the song was not afraid to throw itself in and it's a chaos that is controlled in a lot of ways like there is structure to the song while still managing to just kind of embody whatever it wanted to like it doesn't conform to one idea death rattle is all over the place but it makes so much sense i believe in its delivery Half Empty Black Sun is a lot different in its execution. There is this synthesized intro that I thought did a great job at kind of bleeding into what is more of like a, I don't want to say a straightforward metalcore song, but there are elements here that I believe you can attach to certain bands like maybe Fit for a King or um, Wage War, and not to like 
the great production aspect of those bands, but just the idea that metalcore here can be simplistic while still being effective. Yon Shakudama might have ended up being my favorite song on the EP, at least right now. I think what I mentioned about Death Rattles, Chaotic Nature, and Half Empty Black Sun's straightforward approach, you can kind of combine those elements to make up Yon Shakudama. I think the chorus in particular here is one of the high points on the album, and it really does add an extra level of variety to what is already a very varied EP. And then the closing song, River Speak, is primarily built on its acoustic tracking, and there are some moments here where I do get, like, hints of country in a way, and not, like, so explicitly country, but just faint enough for me to hear this and go, yeah, you are a Texas band, you are Fort Worth as fuck, my guy. But I think it's great. I really do enjoy it. And this whole EP altogether, it's very quick to get through. I believe it's like a 14, 15 minute endeavor. And it just fucking flies by, dude. I think South of Saints really did leave a good impression on me. And I think Dispositions is in a great place right now. And as far as like the Texas scene goes, they can definitely be like one of the standard bearers in that regard and they're an act who i think their reach can go as far as they really want it to and i absolutely look forward to whatever dispositions we'll be doing next in the future and i will be following along closely and i really want to try to kind of build the texas scene a little bit more on here you know still obviously paying attention to what the more mainstream scene bands are doing but texas acts i do want to have a spotlight shine on them because a lot of the bands i see around texas are some of the hardest working and the recognition does not reflect that so if you are a texas act in the scene i'm just gonna say this now put me onto your shit because i will gladly gas it up and for the final record of the day this one is special in a lot of ways and it ended up meaning more to me than maybe almost any other album so far this year not saying it's the best but in terms of that sentimental value and what uh something can really speak to in terms of my heart i don't know what beats this one a song you can't feel anymore by harm There are a couple of different directions I can go into in terms of starting out this review. The one that I decided I want to go with, though, it kind of, like, paints the image of what harm have actually meant to me in the past. Because before getting into a song you can't feel anymore, I initially thought that there was no past between myself and harm. I thought this album was my first time listening to them. And then when I pulled up their discography and I looked through what they've done before, there's a song that showed up. Atlanta 1985. It released back in February of 2020 at the start of the month, to be exact. 
And I don't know how I found the song back then, but I did. My Spotify shows the date added as February 8th, 2020. And I remember sitting in a Starbucks and hearing Atlanta 1985 for the very first time. And there was something about it. I don't really know exactly what it was that pulled me into Atlanta 1985 right from the rip. Like maybe it was Billy's vocals. Maybe it was the sense of like strange euphoria that I felt within the delivery of Atlanta 1985. Like it's very somber while still being like kind of heavy, not in your face heavy, but just heavy enough for me to understand that there was something within harm's nature that could one day blossom. And given what was going on in my personal life at that time, nothing that I'm going to dive into right now, but it was a very tumultuous period. And Atlanta 1985 ended up becoming a song that just spoke to me so much at that time. Like I can listen to that song whenever now, and I'm instantly put back into my 24 year old self just trying to understand like what is happening around me where is my life going and the ability that atlanta 1985 had to put me at ease in the midst of just pure calamity but for whatever reason i lost sight of harm like they were not a band on my radar despite having a track that meant so much to me so to be able to kind of rediscover them off of a song you can't feel anymore that ended up meaning a lot to me because even before hearing the album i understood now like this band that at one point really fucking helped save a lot of my sanity at one point i now had the chance to talk about and there was no reason for me to believe that i would have anything but great things to say about a song you can't feel anymore just because of what Atlanta 1985 did for me at a previous time. There was a single for this album called All My Life My Heart Has Yearned for a Thing I Cannot Name. And it released maybe about like a year ago around this time and I didn't know about it until last week. Had All My Life been on my radar last year, this might have been song of the year and i i don't say that in a hyperbolic manner at all like if not song of the year top five at the very fucking least all my life is one of the best songs i've been able to listen to all decade so far that song strikes every nostalgic chord within my being when it comes to a 2000s style of metalcore and post-hardcore. This song is just fucking heavy while being this gripping piece of art that just spoke to me from the second it begins. I think the chorus is just so perfectly built up by its verses, and that chorus is so just goddamn catchy, at the same time that it is able to just tug on every single one of my heartstrings because of its lyrical matter. 
Your skin, it lingers with my regret as I'm falling asleep and you're grabbing the wheel. You say, hold on tight. It'll be okay. Did you really think that? God, there's so much that I feel like I want to say. I, I just don't know if it's like an appropriate setting, but the chorus and specifically the line about grabbing the wheel, you say, hold on tight. It'll be okay. That whole chorus just makes me think of certain things, certain phobias and scenarios within my head that I've played out many times. And more than anything else, I, I think all my life and specifically the chorus and Billy's delivery, it gave a narration to certain fears of mine. And that's a big fucking deal because it put into words things that I've always tried to, but never could until now. Thanks to Harm. The album has a bunch of song titles that, at a first glance, they look like they're just, you know, uh, like a throwback to a time where bands were giving songs these ridiculously long names with no rhyme or reason. I kind of looked into some of these names, and I don't know for 100% fact, but some of them are, if not all of them, are references to certain, like, TV shows or video games or just art pieces in general, and I try to form a list of what I could find, and if by any chance anybody in harm ends up hearing this episode, um, please feel free to let me know if I'm, uh, you know, on the right track or just off the mark at all or whatever. Um, so I'm going to go in order from song one through 10 and give the name of the title and then also what I could find that it might be a reference to. When I say it out loud, it all falls apart. A Google search told me that that could be a reference to a TV show called the OA. You're obviously in the wrong place. It might be from a Virgil Abloh art piece. All my life, my heart has yearned for a thing I cannot name. So this would be a quote from somebody named Andre Braden. But it's also a Euphoria episode name. Let's Take Back What's Dear to You is the name of an episode of the Persona 5 animation. And I kind of want to say that one's going to be correct because on Harm's Instagram, there is a post of theirs that uh, promotes a show and it's done in the style of Persona 5's dialogue screen. People just want to be seen, doesn't matter what for. I couldn't find what that might be a reference to. I fear that my rage will fade over time. That should be from Hunter Hunter. I wish that you could see yourself the way the rest of the world does. That might be another Euphoria reference. But then there's a pause. I couldn't find anything concrete about that. Nothing down there is what they say. That should be a Severance reference. And then this world is merciless and it's also very beautiful is from Attack on Titan. And specifically, it's a line from Mikasa. As in, the character Mikasa, who my cat was named after, the fucking name of the mascot for Ulterior, Mikasa. So, yeah, there's a pretty clear, like, real-ass connection between myself and that track, just based off of what it references. But there's a deeper meaning that I can find with that song that I do want to get into later on, when I talk about the song. The opening track, when I say it out loud, it all falls apart. I believe I'm correct in saying that this is the only song on the record with no screaming, and it is just beautifully mapped out, and 
the way that it kind of acts as like the introductory voice to the album, it's this very like strange yet euphoric experience where it's as if Billy is kind of like keeping the listener close to her while just like basically saying through her lyrics and then also the instrumentation, this album is going to do things to you. And it's going to make you think certain things and feel certain things that may be uncomfortable at times. A, a lot of times, actually. But what you end up getting and what you end up emerging from on the other side is this rejuvenated sense of music and potentially life altogether. Like, I, I believe that is the profound impact that a song you can't feel anymore ended up having on me and when i say it out loud is the first step towards that moment and i couldn't have asked for a better first step because the way that this song is just so enchanting while being daunting the perfect way to start something that is as apoplectic as it is stunning and then once that song finishes you are kind of thrown into the deep end as a listener in getting into you're obviously in the wrong place and i feel like that song is more emblematic of what a song you can't feel anymore is in the grand scheme of things as opposed to when i say it out loud but it's still the kind of song where i hear it and all i want is to just be like thrown headfirst into more of this shit like this was the greatest possible way to you know start off the album in this one-two punch of like hey this is gonna sting and then here is said sting when it comes to songs like let's take back what's dear to you and i wish you could see yourself the way the rest of the world does i am put into a headspace where I feel like I am 13, 14 years old again. And what I mean by that is at that age, a lot of the bands that captivated me, this was the sound that they had. And you could, you know, listen to this constant evolution of a song by virtue of the screaming and singing trade-off. So like on The Devil Wears Prada, you know, Mike and Jeremy have that ability that's always been there with we came as romans i could put on to plant a seed and i would be as captivated by dave's screams as i was kyle's enchanting voice under oath spencer and aaron they have that factor too and when it comes to harm billy and andrew make a really strong fucking case about why they could be the benchmark for that kind of vocal trade-off right now in the scene there are two songs that I do want to single out as kind of, well not kind of, but being very different from its counterparts on the album would be I Fear Only That My Rage Will Fade Over Time and But Then There's a Pause. I Fear Only That My Rage Will Fade Over Time, the sense that I get from the song is the same thing that I would point out as certain bands that kind of take like a Deftones approach per se to their instrumentation. So bands like Mood Ring or Soft Cult, I do kind of hear that within this track. And I kind of maybe like it more than most of what those bands have done. 
respectfully, of course, but there's just something about this track that it makes me feel like among so many other styles and sounds on this record, Billy's voice is perfect for this kind of a track. Like the worn down effect she can give her voice while still being so powerful in its range is immaculate to say the least. And then, but then there's a pause. It actually has this flair of like indie rock in a way, which I understand is a stark contrast from most of what I've tried to explain about this album up to this point, but it really does have that kind of, uh, of a notion to me. And again, there is no style that this band cannot just fucking obliterate. And I am constantly amazed by how adventurous harm managed to get on this album and not just adventurous but successful in those endeavors at the same time and then the closing song this world is merciless and it's also very beautiful um so stylistically and just in terms of sonic flair it it does kind of do something a little bit similar to what I mentioned about I Fear Only That My Rage Will Fade Over Time and how there's like this sort of Deftones worship potentially going on, but it still is packed with a lot of the characteristics that make Harm such a standout band on this record. And so, you know, yeah, it can be like kind of, you know, shoegazy at times per se, but it's still fucking heavy when it really needs to be. And then... Like, a little bit after the halfway point of the song, there is this extended bridge where the song is just instrumental, and it's very, like, slow in its pacing and its delivery, and the way that I took it, or at least the way that I used that bridge, was to just kind of reflect back on what I had been listening to this whole time, and the sheer amazement and astonishment in which I was left by a song you can't feel anymore. And then those thoughts seeped into the title of this song. This world is merciless and it's also very beautiful. And I said earlier, like, this is an Attack on Titan reference and it's a line from Mikasa at a time where she didn't know if Aaron was alive or not and kind of trying to understand like, you know, what is happening around her, like everything that happened in Shiganshina and seeing what everybody around her is having to go through and what she herself had to gone through ever since she was a child. Just her narrative at that point, it really does speak to what is happening here with the title. This world is merciless and it's also very beautiful. So, um, I've never shied away from using this podcast to get out certain feelings within me, you know, like, yes, this is a podcast about reviewing scene music, but it's also an outlet for me to express personal, deep, dark feelings, whether that has to do with the music or not. So like I already said, this title is a line from Mikasa and I named my cat after Mikasa years ago and you know she has since passed on and a big reason why I do what I do here is to keep her memory alive that's why the mascot is designed after her that's why the mascot's name is now Mikasa and something that I remember and I will never forget is that a few hours after she passed away 
my dad sent me a text message and basically the message was just saying life is beautiful even in these dark moments. So I'm going to say it again. This world is merciless and it's also very beautiful. Mikasa's passing hurt me worse than anything else ever in my life has hurt me. But I had to take the good with the bad because there was nothing else I could do. And I had to cherish what she gave me and the love that she showed me and the fact that said love opened my heart to caring for three new cats who need somebody like me around them. This world is merciless and it's also very beautiful. I mentioned at the start of the show about Ryan Sue and his passing and how much that hurt a lot of us and it's going to hurt for a long time if not for forever but the one silver lining in this is that we were all able to at least be privileged enough to experience the gift that ryan gave not just polaris but scene music altogether we were able to experience that in the short time that he was with us this world is merciless and it's also very beautiful Another event from last week that could have been more tragic than it was, the car accident that Year of the Knife got into. And it was just, it was fucking terrible to watch play out and understand how much a DIY band like Year of the Knife were struggling in the midst of something that could have, again, been more tragic and catastrophic than it actually was. Because afterwards, all we knew was that Maddie Watkins was in critical condition and she had severe trauma. But then what happened after that spoke to the beauty of this fucking music scene and how we have the ability to lift others up and help them when they need that help because the GoFundMe for Year of the Knife surpassed its goal of 100k. That amount of people showed up and showed out and poured so much love and emotion into a band that needed all of that at that point in time. This world is merciless and it's also very beautiful. This album is merciless and also very beautiful. And it's been able to show me in so many ways right now how music and life and the fucking planet all together is merciless and also very beautiful. This is a life-altering album. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. There are few records that I have ever talked about on Ulterior and altogether listened to in my life that have been able to mean as much to my heart as a song you can't feel anymore does. I am never going to let go of this record. I am never going to forget about the profound impact it had on me at a time where I needed to be reminded, again, this world is merciless and it's also very beautiful. And that's it. That was every album and EP and single from last week, or the last two weeks, rather, for me to review. And I know this episode is being posted incredibly late, and I do apologize for that. But I could not take the week off, if for no reason other than because a song you can't feel anymore 
really did need to be memorialized the way that I just tried to memorialize it. And I also needed to mention what happened to Polaris and Year of the Knife and just get across to you guys something that I'm really trying to hammer in for myself. This world sucks so much a lot of times, but it can also be a beautiful place. And it can be a beautiful place because of the scenery that you put yourself in, the people that you surround yourself with. And just, you know, be attentive to all that. Because one day, you won't be able to. And what you'll have left to be remembered by is the company that you kept. And the things that you were passionate about. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And for the love of the game, and for the love of Ryan Sue, let's make a scene. 